0: The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour, now in our 15th year. And we're going to get right into this very casual interview with John Paradise. You're also going to have the added treat of him singing a few songs for you. John Paradise is a writer, comedian, videographer, music aficionado, American songbook connoisseur, singer, amateur philosopher, and advocate for veganism. With no further ado, let's get into the interview.
1: Hello? Hey, it's me. Hey, Paul. How are you? Good. Doing good. Good. So are we rolling now? We are absolutely rocking and rolling. Okay.
0: You would be an Erie PA at the moment. Yes, I am.
1: How do you feel about Erie? Well, Erie is okay. I've um, lived here all my life. I was born here, and I think because of that, I have an affection for it. But I don't necessarily think that if I wasn't born here, it would be a place that I would be drawn to. Huh. Not to knock my hometown.
0: You just have enough of uh, awareness to know that you like this place because it's familiar. but
1: Yes. And it has some, you know, there are some pluses to it. We're on a lake and we have a peninsula. It would be Lake Erie, right? Lake Erie, yes, indeed. But there are more exciting places in the world. And I um, lived in Manhattan for two years when I was in grad school. And I lived in Connecticut for like five years. And it was more exciting in both of those places than in Erie.
0: So why Erie then?
1: Oh, why am I here now? Yeah. Well, I actually came back to Erie because I'm an only child. And my mother was getting elderly at the time when I returned. And I thought she needed someone to... Kind of take care of her. Hmm. So that's probably the biggest reason why. So tell me a little bit about your mother. Well, my mother, she was basically a housewife. She married late in life. Both of my parents married pretty late in life. My mother was, uh, I think, 37, and my father was... 46 When they got married, and I'm an only child. Now, tell me
0: about this time that you spent in grad school in Manhattan.
1: Well, I was there for two years, and it was really one of the most exciting times in my life because living in Manhattan, just walking out onto the street, is exciting. You know, there's like an energy there. And I went to school in in Brooklyn at Long Island University and I lived in Manhattan and I would take the subway to school and I would go to listen to live jazz almost every week living in Manhattan to places like the Village Vanguard and Sweet Basil's and it was really a ball. It was just a, a, a place that suited you well. I would say, yeah, I would say.
0: Now, where did this love of jazz music begin?
1: It began, I would say, when I was in my teens. I actually, well, as a child, I always liked music. And for some reason, I gravitated towards the older music. And I don't, somebody might think, the reason I did that was because I had older parents who listened to that kind of music. And that's probably partly true, but they didn't really listen to a lot of music around the house. So I was more likely to kind of on my own, for whatever spontaneous reason, I developed an interest in their, in certain music that you might consider to be their music. And I rejected the music of my time probably like the um i was born in 64 so i was listening to a lot of the music of the 60s when i was just a tiny infant and the music of the 70s on the radio but i kind of gravitated towards the older music and in my teen years i kind of rejected it in favor of like the big bands and sinatra that kind of thing and then From there, I got more into modern jazz. And uh, it just uh, struck my fancy, I guess.
0: Would you say that there is a certain artist that would be your absolute all-time favorite?
1: Well, it's easy to say that Sinatra would probably be my all-time favorite because I started listening to him when I was about 10 years old. And at the time... There was a, he had just come out of retirement, and he, uh, there was a show called The Main Event, and at the time, I actually had a broken leg, and I was at home with a cast. I broke my femur, which is really up high on the leg, and I was in a very big cast that extended it from the bottom of my leg right up to my And that show was on, and my mother was interested in watching it. And I was just, and I was into it, too. But I I had a vague idea that I liked the music of the older singers. But I really hadn't gotten into any of them. So I kind of maybe had a notion that maybe Bing Crosby would be my favorite singer. Or maybe Perry Como. And I'd heard of Sinatra, but I really didn't know much about him. I probably had heard about him the least, up till that point, but when the show began and he walked out on that stage, it was like the most important man in the universe had arrived, and when he began to sing and go through his entire performance, I was just totally taken by it, and he just became my favorite, and he became somebody, I wanted to be like him And after that show was over, I just couldn't stop talking about him. And my mother dug out the few records that she had of his, and I started playing them over and over again and uh, learned all the songs on the records. And I was obsessed with him through my teen years, I would have to say but then i got into other things and you know even though he he would have to be i would say he's my favorite to begin with but other things can occupy your musical time so like right now i don't i probably don't listen to him every day but when it comes right down to it he is probably my favorite
0: it's so interesting that you you mentioned that you were more aware of these other singers like the Perry Como's, and-
1: yeah, I think because they had Christmas specials <laughs> more than Sinatra, and uh, even Sinatra was probably a bigger star than them at that. Of course, Bing Crosby arguably could be the biggest with record sales and everything, but by that time, I think Sinatra easily eclipse, eclipsed him and Perry Como. Mm-hmm. But I knew more about them than I knew about him. But when he, when I saw him perform, it was like, wow. It was just like, this is what I want to listen to. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted, I never um, took any steps to become a singer, except for now I'm taking voice lessons for the last couple of years. But I, um, in my fantasy mind, in my fantasy world, I was thinking that's what I wish I was doing. Yeah. He's like a father figure, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, to a lot of people. Would you say that you probably heard every single Sinatra song? Probably I've heard every single. There may be a couple that I've missed. I have just about everything, you know. I have the Columbia box set, and I have the reprise, and I have the Dorsey years, and I have the the, um, V-discs, and... So, I probably heard just I probably heard everything that was definitely recorded in the studio
0: so you were mentioning this collection of music that you have. Do you have a favorite way of experiencing music in terms of do you prefer headphones or no headphones?
1: Do I think you... I would say I prefer no headphones. I'd rather listen to it through my stereo system or even a smaller device. But so I think, I mean, I like headphones, too, but I would say that I like uh, I like listening, not through headphones, but through another
0: device. Do you have any preference when it comes to
1: vinyl versus CDs or? Well, I like the convenience of CDs, but I do like vinyl. And I have probably three or four turntables. But I mostly listen to CDs, or now, just out of convenience, I go to YouTube. If I want to hear something, I'll listen to it through my my iPad. And sometimes I will listen through the headphones, even though it's not necessarily my favorite way. It can be the most convenient and the most private way to do it. And just about anything you could think of, you can probably find online. Just about. Like in my case, YouTube, you know, so I do that a lot.
0: Now, if somebody was snooping around in the John Paradise music collection, of course, we would find, as we've been talking about, Frank Sinatra. But what other things would we find? And then what things would we find that would maybe be surprising?
1: Hmm. Well, in my music collection, you would find a lot of Charles Mingus, a lot of Miles Davis, maybe surprising uh, Lord Melody. Oh well, are you are you you're familiar with him? I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I'm familiar with with most of the
1: Calypsonians. Yeah, I was thinking you would be because you are you have a very wide knowledge. Did you know that Robert Mitchum did a album of Calypso songs? Yes, sir. I have that I figured, album. I figured you would. You, know, you <laughs> could get Some people, you could get them on that, though, you yeah. know? And I have that album, too, on, on a CD. I actually have a couple copies of it. What What did you think of that? Oh, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I really did. Some people might not. But I don't know why I really liked it. What do you think about Calypso music? I enjoy it, but I don't know that, you know, I don't, I'm not into it that much, but what I listened to, the Lord Melody and the Robert Mitchum, I enjoyed it and I listened, I listened to those CDs repeatedly, so I really liked them a lot. So focusing on those two CDs that I have, I like it a lot, but other than that, I really don't know much about it, Yeah. but I just you know, I just enjoy the pure pleasure of what I have, hmm. especially the Lord Melody. Yeah, definitely. definitely. It's really—I think it's really just something totally different from anything else that I listen to. And it probably was probably was something that I wouldn't necessarily have gotten into on my own. But my fr- a friend of mine, Robert, bought. Uh, he was looking into some calypso. And he bought Lord Melody and he bought the Robert Mitchum, and was playing it a lot. And I, from his enthusiasm, I picked up on it and I really started to like it on my own. A lot of times somebody else's enthusiasm can, uh, you know, can spread to uh, to you. Absolutely.
0: Now, there was a couple of instrumental jazz artists that you mentioned. What is it you like about that kind of stuff?:
1: Well, well, there's a lot of things that come to mind, but uh, like with Charles Mingus. Now, I'm sure you've heard of him, obviously, with your wide knowledge, but do you get into Mingus yourself?
0: Not as much as some of the others, but but yes, definitely.:
1: His music is very exciting. It's full of his music is full of passion. And um, he a, was a very accomplished musician because he was, like, considered to be one of the virtuosos of the bass. He also was very good on piano. And if that weren't enough, he was a tremendous composer, which some, some people think he's one of the greatest American composers, I think, along with Duke Ellington but i just find his music to be full of passion and it's just exciting it's like a it's like a whirlwind it's like being it's like being spun around in a whirlwind and it it has such a a, a dynamic quality because in one composition by ming i'm talking about mingus now in one composition it can start out very slow like a lush ballad and then the tempo will change and it gets more upbeat and it can even get chaotic and atonal at times. And then in the middle of this avant-garde atonality, all of a sudden he'll just slip into a very soft, romantic little ballad-like melody. And he just sort of takes you on a ride and and tells you a story. And it's just exciting. Wow. Now,
0: working our way back to the Sinatra stuff a little bit. It might be hard, but can you possibly pick a favorite album?
1: That is hard, you know, because there's so many and if you're listening to an artist over the years you might like one at one time you'll have a favorite for a few weeks or months and then something else you know your favorites can change so that's hard to say it's really i don't i wouldn't want to have to commit myself but what comes to mind off the top of my head and this isn't probably everybody says like only the lonely could be his best or in the wee small hours of the morning and I like those albums. But one of the I'd say one like the first one I listened to though was a compilation album of singles. It's called This is Sinatra. Yeah. And it starts out with I've Got the World on a String has three coins in the fountain on it. And that could be that could you know, I could I could say that was my favorite. I don't know if saying what your favorite is has that much meaning though. Because I, you know, I just like just about everything he ever did. But that that pops into my mind as a favorite. I also like songs for swinging lovers. I do like only the lonely. A lot of times, though, when people ask me, or, or on the on Facebook, I belong to a Sinatra page, and they'll ask the question, "What's your favorite Sinatra song?" And I frequently say, "Moody River." Moody River. Yeah, Moody River. And that's a song that was done by Pat Boone. And it would probably be on most people's list as like maybe one of the least favorites in songs or maybe the uh, a low point. But I get a kick out of the way he swings it. And it's certainly, you know, it's not considered a great artistic work, but I just enjoy it. The Have beat, you heard it? I don't know that song, no. You don't? You should listen to that song. I will yeah and i like i like what he does with um i'm trying to think of the song now but it's a gentle on my mind yeah which is a glenn camp you've heard him do that right yeah absolutely definitely not considered um if you're trying to to make a case of why he's a great artist you're not going to pick those two songs You might, you'd probably pick only the lonely and the the whole album. But I just kind of get a kick out of those and I can listen to them over and over again. And I like, he swings both of them, kind of a gentle swing and uh, sort of uh, almost a little decadent. And at the end of Moody River, he speaks, sort of as it's fading out, and he says, I ain't going swimming in there, baby. (laughs) <laughs> and it's sort of like he's slightly making fun of the song. So like he just sorta of tosses it off in a irreverent, maybe slightly contemptuous manner. And I just enjoy it.
0: The album that I always think about as one of my favorites. Every time I've I've said this to somebody who knows Sinatra, they always kind of either look at me strange or they maybe quizzically raise an eyebrow. <laughs> My favorite Sinatra album is She Shut Me Down.
1: Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good album.
0: It is. You know? It is.
1: What's your favorite song on that? Um,
0: I believe it's a Jules Stein song.
1: Is it Merrily? Is it from the... Is it, it started out like a song... Yeah, that would be by Sondheim, though. Did time. Um, oh, oh uh, you're, th- you're going thinking. Going on. Yeah, yeah. That, isn't that the first song? It's. Uh, yes. I can't think of the name either, but I know it. I could probably sing it, but it's actually, it's not um, in public domain. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> yeah, Good Thing Going is the Sondheim song.
1: Yeah, Good Thing Going. Yeah, that, but that's not it then, but that's the first song on the album, isn't it?
0: It is. You're absolutely right, and you really know your Sinatra. (laughs) The song I'm thinking of is Hey, Look, No Crying. Hey, Look, No Crying. Yeah, I know that song. And I love, which I think he did this one on another album as well, I like uh, Thanks for the Memory.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He changes the lyrics a little, I think. That's, uh, I like it too. I, I do too. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but... It may be some people say it's the last good album he did, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because what a well, little after that the other the last album, other than the duets, it would be the one with uh, the that uh, has LA is my lady on it. Yeah. Which is I like that too. That's good too. I don't I don't dislike it at all. I do like it a lot. I like that album too. Definitely. His voice is getting rough by then but I think he does a good job especially on that um, after you've gone he really tears it up. Actually you wanted to talk about Schwartz Jonathan Schwartz? I actually and would. One, t- one one time Jonathan Schwartz played that song after you've gone and after and it was really swinging and and after after he played it Schwartz said something like he meant business. <laughs>
0: Well, for anybody who doesn't know who Jonathan Schwartz is, he's a retired, I think at this point, radio personality. Is he personality. retired now? I don't know what you would say, but how did you get exposed to the Jonathan Schwartz radio program?
1: Well, I got exposed to it when I moved to Manhattan to go to grad school and, uh, I, you know, looking through the AM channels, I found WQEW, and I was thrilled that they were playing Sinatra, and this was 1993, and the album, or the box set came out, as, as Jonathan Schwartz referred to it, he referred to it as the Columbia Package, so it had just came out. And I think at that time, just to give you an idea of what was going on in the Sinatra world, the Duets album was about to come out. So Schwartz was playing tracks from the Columbia package. And sometimes, if I remember correctly, he would play, he might get a, um, a little advanced copy of something that was going to be on Duets, I think. You know, this is a long time ago now, so I could be wrong. But he kept you abreast of what was happening in the Sinatra world at the time, as Sinatra's career was coming to an end. And um, so I became aware of him through that, through the uh, WQEW, and I was just, it really made my time, it really helped to make my time in Manhattan really special. I don't know if you know this or not, but for the people listening, Jonathan Schwartz was probably the most charismatic and unique DJ on, on WQEW, and he was and he is a Sinatra expert. He knows everything about Sinatra. Sinatra once said that he knows more about Sinatra than Sinatra. Like Sinatra said, you know more about me than I do. But Sinatra, I think, could be a bit dismissive of Jonathan Schwartz, too, but... Jonathan Schwartz, well, WQEW featured Sinatra in the afternoon every day, every weekday. And if Schwartz was there, he'd be officiating over it, but other DJs would also. But I think it was his, he's the main guy you want to hear doing that. And then on Saturdays, they would have Sinatra Saturday. And that would be from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it would be all Sinatra for four hours. So there was a lot of Sinatra there. And all of the DJs would play it.
0: What would you say you like about Jonathan Schwartz the
1: most? I think I like his, well, he's a likable guy as a a radio DJ. He is a likable guy. And I wouldn't say anything against him. And if he was listening to this, I would have to tell him I enjoyed him very much. But he's also kind of self-involved. And that's not unlikable, necessarily. So I just, I think he he has a way of sort of being himself, unabashedly himself. He's been called like a relentless self-promoter. And when he's on the air, he's always telling you, this is Jonathan Schwartz. Quite frequently, he brings up his own name as he's speaking. He'll say some things, and when there's nothing else to say, he'll say, this is Jonathan Schwartz. So he's kind of, um, I don't know what the word is. I'm not going to say narcissistic necessarily, although that might come to mind. But I kind of like that bold personality of his. And he sounds very confident. And when he gives his opinion on something, he sounds like he really believes it. And I like the way he makes listening to Sinatra even more fun. It's, I mean, it's fun to listen to Sinatra anyway. But he introduces each song in such a way that just makes it even more fun. Yeah. He's quite a presence. And he always has great things. Oh, he is quite a Have you met him before, or did you? No, I never met Jonathan Schwartz. But I'm, I'm talking about um, as a radio the, presence. The yeah, as a radio. Wouldn't you say he is? And you're an expert on that because you're in radio yourself. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, so, but I would definitely say he
0: is a presence on the microphone.
1: Yeah, he does have a presence. And he himself um, was, a you know, he he had a foray into singing, and he put out an album, too.
0: Did you know that? I did know that. I have not heard the okay. album but
1: have you? I I have it on CD. What do you think? I do. I own it. It's okay. Actually, if you ask me right now, I might not even be able to remember what was on it. I do remember one song that was on it. There's one song. It's called Why Go Anywhere At All. I remember that much. I'd have to dig it out of my collection, but I think he's a pretty fair singer, especially now that I'm taking singing and I... <laughs> You know, it's not as easy as it appears, so oh, it's all right. Tell us
0: about what inspired you to take singing lessons yourself.
1: Well, all my life, I had, I had uh, like, dreamed of being a singer, but I took no action to be a singer. So it's more, at that point, like, it's more in the realm of fantasy, if you don't do anything to to become a singer, other than singing around the house and that kind of thing. But I was just talking to a friend of mine and we were discussing what I should do. And I was saying if it was no if if, if, if uh, setting aside every you no, know, you know, the main goal might be to find something practical to do. But I was saying if you were set if if like we to throw all practicality out the window, what I would really like to do I said, I'd like to sing, like to be a singer. And she said, well, take singing lessons. And so she kind of hammered it into my head, or she kind of slightly cajoled me. So I took the steps necessary to start taking singing lessons, which I've been doing for now a couple of years. So that's what kind of kind of did it. So I don't know how far i'm going to go but it's good for for your self-development and along with just i i didn't know what it was going to be like but uh i thought it would mostly be instructive on how to produce the sound a better sound with your voice but my teacher um wants me to learn how to read music and so i'm learning all about um, well, it's it's still the basics, but I'm learning the basics of music theory, which I had never learned before. And uh, I'm learning some exercises by Nikolai Lakai. And there are these different exercises that teach you about, in music, there's intervals. Do you read music or do you play an instrument?
0: No, I don't. I don't.
1: These lessons help you to learn the intervals. There's seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths, and that's the distance between notes. And each short lesson features a different interval, and it's sung in Italian, so I have to learn some Italian. And uh, it's supposed to be good for a number of reasons. It's supposed to be good for the voice, and it's supposed to be good for learning music theory and reading music and identifying the, the intervals in the music so i'm starting to study all of that and learn all of that and it's um very beneficial i think and i still have a long way to go but it's like it's sort of you know it's at my stage in life it's more of a self development thing you know it's like somebody who who paints to ease their stress you know i don't i don't think i'm going to become a famous singer because of it but it um it's a good self development activity. It's therapeutic, I think. And I hope to improve my voice.
0: Would you say that there was a breakthrough, like a, a lesson or a theory, or I'm not sure, that maybe was a very, very valuable thing that you learned to improve your abilities at singing?
1: No breakthrough. And I don't think my abilities have been dramatically improved. I think I probably learned how, how bad I was, maybe. How, you know, I got a perspective. Not that I, I mean, I have potential or else I wouldn't be accepted as a student. But, uh, I think uh, it gave me perspective to know what I, you know, that there was a lot that, that I didn't know. And, and, and like there was no big, so far there's been no big breakthrough, but, I'm gradually starting to learn some things and I'm learning, like when I look at the music, when I look at the sheet music, I still can't read it. I can't look at a, at sheet music and like if there was a song with lyrics and melody, I couldn't pick it up and, and sing that melody yet. But now as I'm looking at the sheet music and and I hear the the piano playing in the, along with it, I can kind of see where the, you know, I can kind of, it's starting to make sense to me. Um, but I think it's kind of a slow process. I've learned, what I one of the things that I've learned was that I have been, before, when I started out from singing, you know, trying to sing Sinatra, I was trying to sound like Sinatra, and I, my teacher, informed me that I'm a tenor, and Sinatra was a baritone, so I've been trying to sound like a baritone. So I found that out. I also found out that I've been trying to sing using my throat too much. And my voice should be resonating in my mouth. Even though the sound originates from the vocal cords, it's supposed to resonate in your mouth. It's like somebody made the analogy, it's like with a trumpet. You make, um, I guess you make little buzzing sounds into the trumpet. That's like the vocal cords. But you want it to resonate through the horn to get the sound. So even though the sound originates in the vocal cords, I need to get it into the, I think they call that the mask too. Have you heard that term, singing from the mask?
0: I have not heard that.
1: Yeah, the mask is like the front of your face, like behind your nose and down to your mouth. So you want it to resonate there. Another thing I learned was that I should be breathing. (laughs) I should be taking in air. She says that would help you (laughs) if you were to take, take some breath. (laughs) So there's a lot of things that I've learned that she's instructed me on, and I still have yet to put them together, I think. But I think it it all, you can't do everything at once. You know, like maybe one day you're thinking about breathing. She's talking about breathing. And then another day she's talking about how the posture should be or how my mouth should be open a certain way or how my tongue should be flat on the bottom of my mouth and the tip of it should be behind my teeth. And it should also be relaxed all the while that I'm trying to do that. And then when I'm doing vowels, I should not be using my, my tongue should just stay at the bottom of my mouth and I shouldn't be using it to do anything else because it will block the flow of air. But when I have to do a consonant, then I do use my tongue. So I said to her, well, what do I do then? You know, i you're supposed to keep your tongue down. She says, well, when you need to use your tongue for a consonant, you use it and then get it right back down interesting if that makes any sense but there's a lot of things you wouldn't think of and so hopefully these are all going to come together and make my voice it will improve my voice but i had
0: the opportunity to interview deborah bird who was the vocal coach on american idol and she said Ooh. the number one thing that she wants to tell her students is if she can give if she could only give one piece of advice, it would be breathe. Hmm.
1: Wow. That's, I'm glad you said that.
0: So a lot of people are wondering, what does John Paradise sound like when he sings?
1: Are there a lot of people wondering that? <laughs> I can think of one <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, I know
0: what no. you sound like, but.
1: oh, Do you? Have you heard, have I, have you heard me sing? Have I, I
0: have. I've heard you sing. Yes. Okay.
1: Because this is the first time we've actually talked. But I, I probably did. I sing through a vo- to, through an audio message once.
0: Yes, you did, and also. Okay. Uh, I'll never forget this. It was um, it was New Year's Eve, and you sent, you didn't sing the Lang sign, but you you did like a, do 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 do. <laughs> oh,
1: the nerve of me. <laughs> to send out Yeah, I was trying to probably sound like a little horn. Something like that. Right?
0: That was it. Yes. Now now that I
1: Yeah, okay, I probably sent it probably sent it to everybody on, on my list. Well, I um don't mind you know, as a, as an aspiring singer, I'm I'm not I'm game, you might say, to to uh to To do a little vocalizing, if it doesn't, you know, if it won't, um, if nobody gets hurt, I hope, or you know, like glass, somebody's glass would break or something.
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in. If you're, if you're okay.
1: Well, I had my. Did you see my idea though? Did you read what I said? So I, I I would like if you could name a, a song and see if I know it like a you know the did you i sent you a text i said um what did i i don't even remember what i said exactly but let the me cha- the uh public domain song challenge
0: okay okay let me pull that up i remember seeing that
1: i have to pull it up too yeah i always like to see what i said <laughs>
0: let's see here what do we have
1: I and I sent you. I found. I well, I did a, a Google search of like public domain songs, and I was looking down the list, and I was thinking that I knew some of them, and some of them I knew of, and I, you know, I knew some better than others, and there were, there were quite a few I didn't know at all. Ah, uh,
0: yes, I know. I I know of this list. Where list. is that? Uh, dot com. Yeah, they are actually over in Marietta, Georgia, I believe. The people who do this. Okay. I'm betting you know this, but let's just see. Okay, let's see. Does John Paradise know
1: Ain't We Got Fun? Okay, I'll give it my best shot. Although, I don't know if it's going to sound that great. But, in the morning, in the evening, ain't we got fun? That's about all I know of that one. Okay, very good. I do know it. All right. This this could get better, though, so, you know, throw them at me. And let's get some magic going here.
0: All right. <laughs> okay. Now, I believe if I had to bet money, I would say that you know Alexander's Ragtime Band written by Irving Berlin.
1: Well, I do know it. But how does it start? Does it go, "Come along, come along"? I don't Do you see the lyrics there? Can you give me like the first couple words?
0: Okay, I know this song. So, it would be you do know. Come on in here. Come on in here, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Come on in here, come on in here. It's the best band in
1: the land. land. And if you want to hear, that's Wani River played in ragtime. Come on along, come on along. It's the best band in the land. I know there's one there. Jolson sings something like, You can hear a bugle call like you've never heard before. So natural that you want to go to war. It's just the best band in the land. Ah, oh, honey lamb. He does something like that. You're but sound- I don't know all the words to it, actually. So You're sounding good. I'm being I'm being slightly less impressive, but I do know. Well, give me another one, Paul.
0: Okay. All right. Well, this this is a song that it maybe was written more than a hundred and fifty years ago or so, but I think this is a fantastic song even today. Beautiful Dreamer.
1: Okay. I do know it. Okay. And I know it begins. I don't know it all though. But it goes, beautiful dreamer, wake unto me. Starlight and dewdrops are waiting for thee. Songs of the rude world heard in the day. Lulled by the moonlight have all passed away. Beautiful dreamer, queen of my song. List while well I woo thee with soft melody. I still am making up the words because I don't know them.
0: Excellent. Very was good. That,
1: was that kind of close? But the, the best part I can't even think of.
0: You, you've you got it. You've got it. Okay.
1: What comes after so, list while well I woo thee with soft melody, though? what comes after that?
0: Um. Hmm. You don't know, right? Not off the top of my head. Oh, OK. Now, I would if I had to bet money, I would say that, you know, Chicago, that toddle in town.
1: I do. Yeah, I do. I have to confess. It wouldn't be my first choice to want to sing. But Chicago, Chicago, that toddle in town chicago chicago i'll show you around bet your bottom dollar you'll lose the blues in chicago chicago the town that billy sunday couldn't shut down on state street that great street i just want to say they do things they don't do on broadway You'll have the time, the time of your life. I know a man; he danced with his wife in Chicago, my hometown.
0: All right, very good. Now you mentioned that that wouldn't be your first choice.
1: No, I I saw that on the list too, and I was thinking, oh, I don't want to sing that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what 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 on there? What called your name?
1: Well, let me give you a Let me give you one. Okay. I don't know if it's on the list, but I'm sure it's public domain. Over a thousand years or maybe more. Out on an island on a lonely shore, Robinson Crusoe landed one fine day, no rent to pay, no wife to obey. His good man Friday was his only friend he didn't borrow or lend they built a little hut lived there till friday but saturday night it was shut where did robinson crusoe go with friday on saturday night every saturday night they would start into rome And on Sunday morning, they came staggering home. They went out hunting rabbit when the weather got colder. But Crusoe came home with a hair on his shoulder. Now, where did Robinson Crusoe go with Friday on Saturday night? Very good. You know that song?
0: I do know that song. I'm almost a hundred percent positive that you're correct. It is in the public domain.
1: I was thinking it had to be
0: yeah i I would say so
1: earlier tonight, just for fun, I was singing the song the the you know the Perry Como song it's impossible yeah, I was singing it, but I was replacing impossible with improbable. <laughs> Just to be funny, I was singing it to a friend of mine. and I, I was singing, I, I, instead of It's Impossible, I was singing It's Improbable. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I have that. <laughs> how did you, while well, you're looking, I want to ask you how now you are in your, are you in your early or mid-30s? Yes. How did you get into that? How did you get into this music?
0: Now, by this music, what do you mean?
1: Into the well, I know you're into so many different kinds of music, but how did you get in by this music? I mean, how did you get into the American standard, okay. into into Sinatra, and that kind of thing? Okay, because that's an interesting story. I'm always curious how somebody of the younger generation gets into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, me too. Me too. Whenever I encounter somebody. Mm-hmm. Like you, it was not Sinatra at first, although Sinatra became mm-hmm. the the end-all beat-all, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was Perry Como. Oh. Yeah. Perry Como was the gateway. I just, I loved the smoothness of his voice. I think that it was, it was the Christmas music that was kind oh. of, kind of wow. got it going Then, I mean, I remember thinking, and now I no longer think this, but I remember thinking for a while that I thought Dean Martin and Perry Como were actually better than Frank Sinatra. Really? Uh, And then I realized I just didn't know enough Frank Sinatra music.
1: Hmm. Some people do think that for some reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've
1: heard that opinion.
0: After digging and after really, really listening, and I guess maybe some a few years put on me, I now recognize at least in my own life <laughs> Frank mm-hmm. Sinatra as king.
1: <laughs> well, I think he's better than Perry Como and Dean Martin, just because I don't know there's so many reasons, but he seems like he's technically better, yeah, you know, I think Dean Martin sometimes. Sounds like he's kind of phoning it in. Although a lot, I mean, he has. I think he he appeals to people in an avuncular way. They think of him as their um, their funny Italian uncle who can sing a song.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: I think <laughs> I'm that's probably true. Get clobbered for that viewpoint. But <laughs> and Como and I've always, you know, as a kid, I always growing up, I enjoy these people. But Como, like compared to Sinatra, Como seemed kind of boring to me. Not to not to malign your your first favorite, because I do (laughs) like him. I especially like It's Impossible and I like I like what he does with Killing Me Softly. Yeah. You know the song Killing Me Softly with his song? Yeah. And I also like that Christmas song, um Christmas Dream. Yeah. But he when I was a kid, for some reason, and especially after I started to listen to Sinatra. I would hear Perry Como's voice, and I would get a picture of like a pair of socks in a dresser drawer in my mind. I don't know why. <laughs> like, like sort of gray socks, sort of um, folded up and how you know, sort of fold them. You turn them inside out into that little oblong ball. I would listen to Como, and I'd kind of get that in my head. And Sinatra seems so full of life and vitality.
0: Yeah. To answer your question, though, I would say mm-hmm. this. What brought it home for me, what made me think, okay, these are the best songs that ever existed, the American Songbook. Mm -hmm. I have to mention Ralph Shaw. Ralph Shaw is a British singer and ukulele player. And he did this album. It was released back in 1998, I believe. It was called The King of the Ukulele. Oh. And fantastic album, but he did all songs from, the most part, from the American songbook, I think maybe a couple of songs from the British songbook. But Mm -hmm. mostly he did. I mean, still, when I think about some of the best versions of songs like Paper Moon and Blue Skies, it's hard to believe, but I I would have to give it to Ralph Shaw.
1: Wow. And His his singing, in other words. Not just his ukulele playing, but his singing you found. To be better than Sinatra?
0: No, not better than Sinatra, but I wouldn't say that, but
1: made me absolutely love fall the American in love America- with the American song. Oh, I see. Exactly. Well, that's good, too. It's good also to see, you know, you, like with Sinatra, you could fall in love with his personality, etc. But if somebody who is less known, like Shaw, who I'd never heard of, I think you mentioned him to me, though, a couple of years ago, and I looked him up, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, the songs carry themselves. They're so good, you know. Yeah, they yeah. are songs that they're meant to be sung by many people. I think. I was
0: just going to say that I feel that way. Yeah, I feel and like, though,
1: and that is your favorite music. Then, with all the other music that you listen to, because you, if you look at the list of your interviews, you have interviewed so many different people even in the rock world to some extent. I know you you interviewed David Lee Roth among others, but yeah. is your favorite of all music the song, the American Songbook then? If that in case that hasn't already been established. I guess maybe it has. Yeah,
0: absolutely. My absolute to me it all comes back to that. If you don't have that cornerstone, you you don't have anything. <laughs> I mean, it it's interesting because I have interviewed a lot of people that you wouldn't say are connected to the American songbook, but right even David Lee Roth recorded just that's a That's life, up. right? And just and, and, and yeah, he, and
1: he recorded that's life too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And then I would say, you know, I've interviewed Willie Nelson and mm-hmm. I saw that. One of the things we continued to go back to was the songbook, you know.
1: Right. And I knew he was he had a, I know he has a strong connection to the songbook too.
0: Oh, absolutely,
1: yeah, for sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, now how, I wanted to ask you, how old were you when you when you first started to listen to Perry Como? Oh,
0: I was definitely in my my teens that at that point.
1: What like, did you listen bef- to before that? Were you did you just listen to what was on the, the top forty, or what did you listen before you? Listened to before you got into Perry Como? Uh, Well, I listened to pretty much
0: what my mom was listening to, especially. She Mm -hmm. is a huge music fan. Some of the things that I remember from the time I was very young, hearing all the time, would be Barry Manilow. Mm -hmm. Lots of Barry Manilow. Kenny Rogers things like that, mm-hmm. Julio Iglesias. And I think if you listen to those people when you're really little, you're mm-hmm. eventually, if that's what you're starting with, <laughs> you're going to eventually find your way into Sinatra.
1: That's just but, my Yeah, I think it could very well lead to Sinatra. <laughs> Did you experience any conflict, though, with your friends listening to this type of music? Did they think you were weird or an oddball or
0: not i didn't face anything like that until like the last couple of years of my life <laughs> that's when the the kind of backlash has come
1: i hear from really in the last couple of years
0: yeah yeah that's surprising people have said to me things like you know you would be even more successful if you weren't so fixated on this particular topic oh.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, so it's commercial reasons that they, right, in a way, yeah,
0: right. I've I've heard my share of that. Which (laughs) when I when I interviewed Frank Sinatra Jr., he warned me. which is
1: a great interview, by the way.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate you saying that. My absolute favorite of all time was I thought you
1: said that. I remember you saying that, and it really is a great interview. And you are lucky to have been able to speak with him i would love to talk to him about anything you know to talk to frank's son would be a marvelous thing
0: your choice of words are really interesting because you said you would have liked to talk to him about anything probably
1: yeah i mean you just feel like you know he's sort of like well he's older than me but my father was born in 1916 and sinatra was born in 1915 right so uh, my father would be his age. And we could be like, you know, my father I'm Paradise is my last name, but it's originally from Parad well, actually pronounced Patadisi with an I at the end. So, you know, we're Italian and you know, he could be like um a, a compatriot or something in a certain sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and Frank Could talk to you about anything. That's
1: what Frank. That's what I've heard.
0: Yeah, he he was. I heard about this, which I I never was able to locate it, but I heard someone say that he was a guest on a movie podcast, and they ended up doing four parts of like an hour each with him, and it was just. Mm He didn't even say when you talk to Frank Sinatra Jr., he doesn't say uh or um, it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has such a wonderful, had such a wonderful speaking voice and was so full of information.
1: Oh, he was,
0: yeah, fascinating he would person.
1: Be, I think he would be the expert on Frank Sinatra, I think as so, he, as he referred to his dad, right. Right, always. He referred to him as Frank Sinatra.
0: Very rarely would he call him dad. It would would have to be in a context that it would warrant saying that.
1: Right. But he he would call him Frank Sinatra when he was talking about him as the performer and artist and public figure entertainer. And that's what he talked about most. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. But you got to talk to him for your interview. Did you talk to him outside of the interview at all? Was there any?
0: Yeah, I got to talk to him a few times. Not, not a, Nothing that was as content rich, nothing that mm-hmm. was as full of information as that interview. But we had a, a couple of phone calls through the years. He never, ever, ever called me Paul.
1: Mr. Leslie. <laughs> the
0: entire time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and I don't, I, of course, I never called him Frank. <laughs>
1: Did you call him Mr. Sinatra then?
0: Always. The first time he called me, I remember it was kind of startling because, of course, because he has every right to call himself Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. He called, and I, I'll never forget this. The phone rang. I picked up the phone. It was a, an unlisted number. He was very, very private. And he said, is this Mr. Leslie? I said, yes. This is Frank Sinatra. Wow. Exactly. Oh,
1: my God.
0: There was about eight seconds of just silence. And then I said something like, oh, hi. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So.
1: What do you say when you when somebody on the other line says, "This is Frank Sinatra,"
0: right? That's it's startling.
1: It is quite startling. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. One of the things that you and I have talked about a bit
1: is food. Oh yes, we did, and I was hoping we were going to get to that. And we shall. And we shall. Very good. And I know you wanted to talk about my veganism. And I kind of think that's what that's what initially, somehow that sparked this whole interview, perhaps. I don't know I if th- it did or not, but you had asked me if I was a vegan based on something that I'd posted on Facebook. Yes. And I said I was, and you showed a great interest in it. Yes. And afterwards, it's funny, because afterwards, I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting or great? Or I just, the notion came into my head that, I just imagined myself being interviewed by you about veganism. How interesting. I, I don't know. Is that like a premonition or something? I don't know. I probably just imagined being interviewed because I think I have wanted to be interviewed. The idea of being interviewed is kind of appealing to me. But then you asked me, well, you were asking me about veganism, and then shortly after that you asked me if I about being interviewed. But So what, do you want to ask me some questions, or do you want me to launch into...
0: Yeah, well, I would actually like to ask you some okay. questions. The first okay. thing I would ask you is, why do you feel that veganism fits for you?
1: Well, it fits for me for many reasons, but one of the big reasons for me is this is personal, and it's not like it's embarrassing or anything I wouldn't want to tell anybody, but I think of some personal things are kind of boring to others. But all of my life I've been kind of what people might call a hypochondriac. Um, But not in the true sense of the word because a hypochondriac is somebody who actually goes to doctors, they think they have something and they find out they don't and they're never convinced. And I don't go to doctors and do that. I don't even like to go to doctors. But so I would, you would say what I have is more like somatic concerns, like worrying ever since I was a little kid, even of six years old, I worried that I was gonna have a heart attack and if somebody mentioned an operation, like a, an older neighbor from next door was having heart surgery and I found out about it, I could practically feel an uncomfortable feeling in my chest. So I've always been concerned about my health. And then I found out and I was, and, and I am convinced of this, that the vegan diet can actually prevent and even reverse heart disease. And even though I don't have heart disease that I know of, when I heard that this diet could do that and when I became convinced of it for what I believe are are sound scientific reasons I just nothing would stop me from adopting that diet so person for me that's one of the biggest personal reasons uh, but on another in another another thing that that I like about the diet is it's so easy to maintain a nice trim weight following the vegan diet, especially the way I do, because you can even you can have an unhealthy vegan diet or a healthy vegan diet. not all in other words, not all vegan diets are healthy because if you eat a lot of you can eat a lot of animal fat and oils and processed sugars and that's not going to be healthy. And that's not going to be good for keeping your weight down. But I follow a vegan diet that is all whole foods. And I avoid oil. And I pretty much avoid sweets and stuff like that too. And I can eat a ton of food and be totally satisfied. And I just stay at a really nice trim weight. Whereas before, I was about 30 pounds overweight. It's just so good for maintaining a healthy and aesthetically pleasing weight. So those are the those are the two reasons, the two strongest reasons for me. But I also do believe in the animal rights side of it as well.
0: So what was it that inspired you to do it? What gave you the idea, this is what I'm going to do?
1: Well, I had a friend who became vegan. And his biggest motivation was the animal right side of it. So he was always trying to convince me to go vegan. And I was kind of, I thought it was a good idea. And I thought it was, you know, good for the animals. And I thought it was healthy for, for a person. But I was kind of not t- fully convinced about it. Because I th- enjoyed, at that time, I enjoyed meat and, and cheese and dairy and, eggs and all that stuff, and I was thinking it's probably good enough to reduce those animal products for health reasons, but I guess I wasn't really willing to give up, give it all up overnight. But what really convinced me to do it was my own selfish health reasons when I started to look at the uh, research of um A doctor called Well Esselstyn, and he's a a doctor from the Cleveland Clinic. And he, and first of all, I would like to say to our listeners out here I'm not an expert on medicine in any way, and what I say is going to be pretty close to accurate. But if anyone's interested in, in learning about the benefits of being a vegan, they should do their own research. And they should look up Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn and Dr. John McDougall, Dr. Michael Greger, and Dr. Neil Barnard, and there's a long list. And I, what I know about the benefits of being vegan, it comes from these doctors. And they're all, everybody I mentioned here is an MD. But Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn was a surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, and he... he, he and I will admit up front that he was not a cardiac specialist. But he, he did surgery for, I think, among other things, he did uh, mastectomies and that kind of thing. And he, it occurred to him that for every woman that he was saving through surgery, he was doing nothing to prevent another woman from getting the cancer to begin with, hmm. and he came to the conclusion that a plant-based, low-oil diet was the healthiest. And he came to that conclusion through various reasons, but one of them was looking at the um, the diet of uh, the Asian diet, where they eat mostly rice and vegetables, and they may have some meat and fish, but that's a much lesser part of the diet. And they were that culture was low in heart disease. And low in cancer and low in in all it was low in all of the all of the diseases that are considered to be brought on by the unhealthy western diet and what he noticed is that when they start to eat a diet like ours that 's when they get overweight that 's when the men get prostate cancer in record numbers, and that 's when heart disease proliferates hmm. but he decided to focus on heart disease to um Show to demonstrate how well the vegan diet worked because heart disease would give a dramatic example of how of how good the vegan diet was at um, in this case you know reversing a, uh, uh, one of those diseases in this case it would be heart disease. So he actually found about twenty or thirty heart patients who were their condition for they were. They had severe blockages, and for whatever reason, it was inoperable, and so they were they couldn't operate on them for whatever reason to do the normal bypass or something. So they were sent home to die, and he got in touch with them and counseled them on how to change their diet, and he was able to reverse like the heart disease in in pretty much all of them who followed the diet, and. You can actually see this through images of the heart. You can see the blockage before the diet, and you can see how the arteries, the coronary arteries become unblocked after the diet. And even in a matter of weeks, they weren't cured in a matter of weeks, but in a matter of weeks of following his diet, they would start to feel better. Their chest pain, the angina would go away. Mm. They could, you know, and over time... I think most of these people may still be alive today. And there are a few that didn't follow, and they're the ones who didn't get cured. But maybe I was pretty wordy there, but if any, if anyone is interested, I encourage them to do their own research, and you can look up Dr. Esselstyn. You can Google him. You can especially YouTube him, and there are so many videos. And he will explain his... Research and one of the things he talks about, which I think is very important, is um, it's called the brachial artery tourniquet test, and it shows how um, when you eat animal of any kind, it actually sludges up the blood, and the same thing happens when you eat any kind of oil; it also sludges up the blood. And he the test involves putting on like a cuff, like a blood. Pressure cuff and you stop the flow. This is after, I don't know every procedural point of of what he does, but you stop the blood flow in the arm and then let it resume. And after eating certain foods, like animal foods and oils, you can see through a sonogram that it sludges up the blood. And he says that all of these foods just destroy the endothelial lining of your blood vessels. That's what causes your blood vessels to be smooth inside so that the blood goes through smoothly, and that's what causes your blood vessels to expand and contract. Hmm. And then when you stop eating these foods, your endothelial lining begins to recover. So, So what do you eat on a
0: typical day?
1: I eat Practically, now, not every vegan does this, but out of, for convenience and for frugality, I eat the same, I eat pretty much the same thing every day with maybe a few variations thrown in. Every week, I make a about a 15-quart pot of a very thick, stewy type soup that, that I make with black beans, lentils, and split peas, and I add five pounds of carrots to it. I add a whole purple cabbage to it. I also add about five pounds of potatoes, and I season it with turmeric, pepper, and Celtic sea salt, and I eat it every day. I heat up individual portions And when I'm heating up my individual portion, I add whole wheat pasta to it, which cooks. And then at the very end, I put in something called nutritional yeast. And I've been eating that variations on that just about every day for the last four years. Hmm. For my big meal, like my lunch. Like I get up in the morning and I have... Three bananas with my coffee, and I do drink coffee, black. And then for lunch, I have this soup. And then at night, a lot of times I have whole wheat pasta with a with um, diced tomatoes and also nutritional yeast. And I have uh, apples and for snacks. And one of the snacks I have is pretzels. But and I eat some other things. But that's basically my diet.
0: So tell us a little bit more about this nutritional yeast.
1: Well, it's, a, um, it's grown, I guess, on, on molasses, I think, somehow. But it, it's a yellow powder, and I like it because I like the flavor it gives my food. But it's loaded with B vitamins, and it also has vitamin B12 added to it in most cases you can get it without vitamin b12 added but i get it with the vitamin b12 added and it's also considered to be a complete protein and i don't i don't eat it because it's a complete protein but, but it's a flavorful for those who like it, it it adds a very good flavor to the food and people compare it to it's like a it's like an alternative to cheese hmm. like i wouldn't personally say it tastes like cheese but people use it instead of cheese. You can put it on your pasta sauce, like you would Parmesan. Um, I know people who don't seem to like, my non-vegan friends don't seem to like the smell of it for some reason, but for most, for vegans, vegans love it.
0: Hmm.
1: And they love it because because of the savory flavor that it gives to the food, and the nutritional benefits are just gravy, I think. Interesting. And you don't have to eat like I do to follow a vegan diet, but I I find it convenient to make this this soup that I make, and uh, then I don't have to think about something different to cook every day.
0: Suppose that you are in the mood for a treat. What would be a vegan decadence that you enjoy?
1: Well... I wouldn't necessarily call it a decadence because one of the treats that I have is pretzels because they seem to be usually they're low, very low, and they might have a insignificant amount of soybean oil or something. But you could hardly call pretzels decadent. I think one of the most <laughs> decadent things I have is there's a I go to a a in Erie, Pennsylvania. We have a place called the Whole Foods Co-op, and that's not to be confused with the. um the big chain grocery store that Amazon just purchased, although they have green colors in their their uh, name in their artwork or whatever you want to call it, but they um they have uh, this wonderful vegan chocolate chip cookie that i eat. I kind of consider that a bit decadent and some of their sandwiches I consider slightly decadent, even though they're vegan. I get the. I mean, they serve they serve both dairy and vegan, but I choose obviously I choose the vegan option, and I get a sandwich. It's a um, it's called in the zone, and it's a lentil walnut burger. It has a vegan cheese on it, and I, I have them also put a cashew cheese on it, and it has some lettuce and onion, and they put ketchup and mustard on it. And some people say it tastes like a Big Mac, which I don't. I don't think it tastes like a Big Mac, but it tastes really good, and it's somewhat decadent because, in general, I avoid fake meats and fake cheeses. So, because I don't think they're the healthiest thing on an everyday basis, so that would be a decadent treat.
0: Why do you not like the the substitute stuff?
1: Um, I think that it's probably healthier than eating animal, but I think it's less healthy. Yeah. I think the substitute stuff isn't quite as healthy. Plus, it would be expensive on a daily basis, too, I think. Even if I bought it at the grocery store and made my own. So, Do you drink alcohol? I do, actually. Not to excess, but I drink beer. And I um, have a favorite beer, too. I don't know. If they, is it verboten to mention a brand name?
0: Oh, you you can absolutely... Mention your okay. favorite.
1: I like a beer. My favorite beer is is Leff. It's L-E-F-F. And they have a blonde and they have a brune. And my very favorite is brune. But it's not available in Erie anymore. But it's a delicious tasting beer. It's a Belgian beer and it's about 6.6% alcohol. So it's a little more alcohol than your average American beer. And it's very good. I would suggest you try it. L e f f. Yeah, L e f f. Very good, especially if you can get the uh, broom.
0: What place would you say you visited that was the one of the most fascinating places that you ever saw?
1: Oh, most fascinating places. Well, I already was, you know, saying that you know New York City itself probably the most, when I lived there, it was the most exciting time of my life. So that city in general, as a whole, was probably the most fascinating place that I've ever visited. But if you want to, did you want me to take it down to one particular place? Uh, Because I don't know if I really could, actually, you know, I mean, I could, I could kind of be corny and say, well, I love the Empire State Building, which I do. But I don't think one place, at least not now, one place doesn't really jump out at me. But that city, I really um, think it was the greatest place to live. So to me, that was the most fascinating place. But I think there's other places. I probably want to go somewhere else, though, just to have something different if I move out of here, which I may do at some point. Where could you see yourself maybe moving? I don't know, that's a big question. I would off the top of my head I could either say LA or maybe Seattle. Interesting. Why Seattle? Oh, I think it's a cool place. I've never been there. So I can't really give a good reason. But I know it would be expensive to live there too. Yeah. I really can't say why. It would be like an unknown a pretty much unknown quantity that if I had the means or decided to You know, buck up the dough. I, you know, I'd probably like to explore.
0: I thought you were going to tell us that you were a fan of the show Frasier.
1: No, I wouldn't even. I mean, I've seen that show and I find it enjoyable, but I wouldn't even call myself a fan of it. (laughs) What would you say
0: your favorite movie of all time is?
1: That's hard to say, too. But I, I like the classics. So it would be easy to say Citizen Kane, maybe. Yeah. But I'm a I'm a big Woody Allen fan so I like all of his movies. Uh huh. Um, so I had to pick one. I like I like his movie. So uh, he's my favorite director. So I like um you know, you push somebody to answer one, it, you know, <laughs> you can't take it too seriously. But I like I liked crimes and misdemeanors a lot.
0: Oh, that was a great one.
1: And I also like Manhattan Murder Mystery. That's a lighter one, too, but I got a kick out of that.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: And cool. I like Orson Welles's movie F for Fake. F for Fake. And I, like, and I do like the classics, but I, have you seen that? I have not, no. You should watch that, too, then. You should definitely watch that. Definitely. Yeah, it's like a mock documentary. It's like a, like a documentary-type thing that Welles totally makes his own. But I also like um, Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum, yeah, and Jane Greer. That's one of my favorites. I was watching The Lady Eve a few months ago. I don't even I don't really watch that anymore. No, I did more so in the past.
0: What would you say your primary recreational activity is?
1: Well, it's probably kind of boring, but I like to, for recreation, I like to do diff- various exercises. I like to walk. I like to take long walks. I can understand that are, that. you know very I mean, I like to walk maybe for three hours, yeah, or at a time, you know, constantly walking or at least get an hour in a day, and um I do a lot of exercise
0: when you take these long walks, are you listening to music or are you just in silence?
1: Generally not. Generally not. Sometimes I'll listen to my um I'll listen to my vocal lessons. But usually I'm not listening to music. Although I may uh I actually and I've told you this, I don't have a cell phone, but I do have my trusty iPad. So I'm dependent on um Wi Fi. So like if I'm walking, if I, I go to a place where there's Wi Fi, I'll be looking something up. Usually I'll look up something on YouTube. And I might listen to some music on there, or or I'll be listening to a video about various topics that I'm interested in, like veganism or maybe interview with uh, Warren Buffett's second guy, second his buddy, uh, Charlie Munger. Yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll find something where he's talking. And... uh, That's kind of a recreation too. I I listen to a lot of things on YouTube in my spare time. It's sort of broken up. It's not. uh, I don't and I should get more. I should get back to watching movies. You know, the two-hour experience of watching a movie. But I watch a lot of little videos on topics that I'm interested in, and it's you know they can be of various lengths, but it's kind of broken up, and I might not even get through a whole video if I'm interrupted by something else. I wanted to ask you, though, what is your favorite movie? (laughs) Does one come to mind? Oh, gosh. There's a lot of them,
0: but I have to say, one of the best modern movies ever made, I believe, is True Romance.
1: No, I haven't seen that.
0: Yeah, it was made in the early 90s. It was the very first... I've heard of it. Yeah, it was the very first Quentin Tarantino movie. He didn't direct it. But he wrote it. He
1: wrote it then?
0: Yeah. Okay. I think that's an excellent movie. I love Woody Allen like you. I would say he's my favorite director.
1: Well, that's good. I mean, that's nice to hear where you have the same favorite director.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: What I, drew you to him?
0: Oh, gosh. What drew me to Woody Allen? I think I, think I just started... I just started watching his movies. I, do, I don't have a cool story about why I, but I, I, I started watching him and I realized that he had a very morose sense of humor, mm-hmm. and I just I just liked that. I kind of have a maybe offbeat humor myself. Mm-hmm. I I like a lot of his philosophic looks at things the way he looks at things, I think he he generally has this attitude in a lot of his films that if you really, really examine life, if you really, really look at our existence, you might get really, really sad. Mm-hmm. So your, your ability to be happy it, happy is based upon your ability to look at all of that and say... Yeah, but what the hell?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you get that from him. I th- I can see that too. Yeah. Because I think he he thinks that way. I think if you I think you'll agree with me when I say that he um he wants to be distracted from the terrible fact of life. The the terrible fact that we're all going to die. Death is very central to his his uh work into his conception i think wouldn't you agree absolutely and i think he likes to be distracted from that and he he himself has said that making movies is a distraction for him and he's even compared it to uh like a mental patient doing uh finger painting or something have you heard have you read have you seen that quote where he said that i have not seen that quote yeah yeah, he says. Of course, he's very. He can be very self-deprecating, you know. Extremely. And maybe yeah. some of his movies are like that because a lot of them. A lot of. I like all. I like to give all of them a chance. But some of the later ones aren't as good. I don't think maybe. But I just like him, so that carries the day for me.
0: Right. There have been a couple that I did not like at all. But well, what? What did you hate? What? Which one did you like the least? Uh, the title escapes me, but there was the one that had Anthony Hopkins in it.
1: Oh, yeah, I know which one that is, you know, that you will meet a tall, dark stranger.
0: Yeah, that I like that. I didn't like that one.
1: I did like you know what I didn't like probably and I'm not saying I didn't like it, but I the curse, of the Jade Scorpion.
0: That's the one that he I believe has said he dislikes the most.
1: I didn't know that, but I, (laughs) and that had a very high budget to get that because it was a period piece.
0: I absolutely love Scoop.
1: Oh, do you? Yeah, I don't, I like it, but to say you absolutely love it, I'm encouraged by that, though. It's nice to see somebody loving something that's considered by most people to be a lesser movie. I think he kind of wrote that off the cuff just so he could work with Scarlett Johansson again after uh,
0: Matchpoint. I think so. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think you're you know, right. Well, yeah, it's, it is. I like it too. What's your favorite, though, of the Woody Allen movies?
0: My favorite Woody Allen movie might be Hannah and Her Sisters.
1: Well, that's a good choice.
0: I like that one a lot. I like, <laughs> I know who doesn't, but I, I, lo- I like Annie Hall a lot. Oh, yeah. I would say from the modern ones, Midnight in Paris is just fantastic.
1: Oh, it is. That's for sure. Yeah, brilliant. And it's, it was encouraging to see it do so well, too. Yeah, it was.
0: It kind of sparked a little, uh, a little renaissance for him, I think.
1: It did. Yeah, it did. Of course, yeah. now he's he's under fire. He is indeed. Yeah, that is for sure. And I don't. Of course, it maybe it's a controversial topic, but I don't know what to think. It's hard to for me it's hard to say. I don't like to think that he would be guilty of molesting his you know, what it wasn't even was it, oh, was that his stepdaughter or that was just Mia's somebody Mia adopted, but I don't like to think that he molested a child. But I don't know. But some people are so sure that he did. And it's um these different actors and actresses speaking out against him is really it yeah. hasn't been good for him. His latest movie, apparently, which Amazon, through Amazon, they um, produced it or whatever they do, they're not going to release it. Is that yeah. A Rainy Day in New York. Really? Gone. They're not going to yeah. release it? No, that's I've read that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is sad.
0: Very. Absolutely.
1: And it's sad to see him prevented from making his yearly movie.
0: Absolutely. Wow. I didn't know that.
1: So hopefully he'll rally around. Yeah, something tells me
0: Ah, uh, who knows? Something tells me that he will find some way. A great artist you can't stop.
1: Oh, that's true. And he's he's strong, you know, he has a he's tenacious and he has a strong will. Yeah. And he, he he's able to compartmentalize things too a lot. Like when he was on Trial back in the '90s, but he is 80 years old. And mm-hmm. That can you know the years and age can wear anyone down. It's like an, oh, I know what I was going to say to you. I know you interviewed him too, but it's um, the audio turned out not to be so good. That's true. However, it's just the sad thing about that, but uh, absolutely,
0: it was it was very it was like a. There's there's two interviews that I had done that I always thought, wow, for these to be two from an audio quality standpoint to be as bad sounding as they are, that's just tragic. But they have been restored. They have. Yeah. The Woody Allen wow. interview, a man named Kevin Hooper doctored it up and it's it sounds better. It was like... I never heard it ever sounding as good as it as it was. So people can check well, that out. Oh, that's
1: good. Yeah. So is that is that available now, like on on your uh, website? Yeah, absolutely. I will have to check that out. Please do. But what a thrill, though, to talk to Woody Allen.
0: Yeah, it was thrilling. And was then... it
1: a thrill? It would have been a. Thr- How did you even get an interview with him? He doesn't. He seems like a hard guy to get to interview. <laughs> yeah. Although he does do interviews, but he, you know, how did you do it?
0: How did I do it? Well, I had this very strong feeling that if I asked him, if I somehow got, if I got to ask him or present my idea for an interview, I had a feeling that he would do it. I knew he would do it. And when I did, uh, it was very, very exciting I, I was at that point very deep in I still am, but I was very deep into my Woody Allen fascination. Shortly after that, I got to I mean, as in like less than two weeks later, I think, I got to meet Woody Allen in person in Manhattan. And wow the musicians who performed with him, they said that they were fascinated that I had a chance to interview him, one of the musicians said that I had spoken more to him in the interview that we did than he had spoken to Woody in the last ten years. Wow. <laughs> so
1: So you I, actually interviewed him in person? No, I interviewed
0: him on the phone and then I was invited to see him and Oh, okay. And his New Orleans jazz band perform at the Carlisle.
1: At the Carlisle, okay, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I did. He was very, very, (laughs) he was very, very, I don't know what the word would be. You get a feeling like he's somebody who is very shy.
1: Oh, okay. I've heard that. So he wasn't so much standoffish as he was shy.
0: He seemed shy. He was kind of shy. I introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm the guy who did the interview. And he said, oh, okay. Well, that's just good. I'm glad you're here. And then I'll never forget this. <laughs> this is funny. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but it, it's just too. It's too good. There was this tall, like, kind of provocatively dressed redheaded woman, young mm-hmm. young woman in a a kind of tight dress, and she <laughs> she went up to Woody Allen and she said. That she was an actress, Mm -hmm. and he said, "Great. When you get to become a famous actress, let me know." (laughs) (laughs) Interesting.
1: Yeah, I'll never forget that. But I guess then you can be in one of my movies,
0: (laughs) right? I, I guess that's his way of kind of
1: deflating, right? Or maybe somebody turning them away.
0: Yeah, it might be something that he deals with daily.
1: It could well be. Yeah, yeah and that's so he just... would know how to deal it, deal with it. It's interesting how you say she—he's shy, and I believe that is probably true. But he's also, I guess, as with anybody, there—you know—the uh, the human personality can contain contradictions. Certainly. But he can be very bold, and I remember Diane Keaton said that he has balls of brass. <laughs> she used that term. So apparently he can he can be strong and bold when he has to be. And they always some people say that as a director he doesn't give a lot of direction, but then they will point out that he gets what he wants in his performances, you know, oh. in the performances. But uh I think the thing that the thing that attracted me to him and makes him my favorite director is I felt like I could relate to him because I'm, I'm sort of, I'm short. I don't think I'm as short as him, but I'm, I think of myself as a short kind of nerdy guy and he's a short nerdy guy. Mm -hmm. And also he likes jazz and I like jazz. And I liked things from the past, and he liked things from the past. So I think that's what drew me to him.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: I find, like, I relate to him. I see myself as a type of Woody Allen, except for I don't write movies and direct and act and tell jokes. And I'm not Jewish either. <laughs> but I could be, somebody might even think I'm I look kind of nondescript. Yeah. So I, I relate to that and, and that's how I relate to him. And I wish I was. You wish a you were movie what? Director, a movie director. Yeah. Writing movies and directing movies and a comedian. And I wish I was all those things. But I never pursued that. I can't say I have the talent to, but I you know, whether you have talent or not, if you want to do something you should try. Yeah. I never did. But I in my fantasy I would like to be a director. Interesting. That attracts me. Would you say more so than possibly being a singer?
0: Probably it's a close tie. Well, how would you define John Paradise?
1: Well, I would define myself as probably not your average person. I think I take my own path in life. And I think I, invo- I avoid the conventional the conventional path. And there are some things you just don't want to talk about necessarily in your first interview. Right. Really? You know? <laughs> I understand. So I think I, I, I would leave it at that, unless I can come up with something else to say that, that I find acceptable. But I think of myself as a work in progress, and I think of myself as somebody who is going to have to continue to grow even into my i'm in my early to mid 50s now i'm going to have to keep developing just to make it where probably most people already are at this age if that makes any sense i don't Hmm. know if it does but um interesting if you had to pick
0: one adjective to describe yourself what would it be
1: Oh, you ask a hard question paul <laughs> let me Let me think one adjective patient patient I'm patient
0: You know I always like to let whoever the guest is just pretty much say whatever they want throughout the whole interview, but I think, especially at the end, I like to kind of let them take the stage
1: well. I would like to say, first of all, in conclusion, I would like to say, it's been, I'm very glad that you interviewed me. And it's really, it's an honor to be interviewed and to be talking to somebody and to be interviewed by somebody who has interviewed Woody Allen and Frank Sinatra Jr. and all the people that you interviewed. I was just listening to your interview with, jimmy bowen last week oh yeah i'd never heard him speak before and that was a very interesting interview and it was a good interview and i'd like the way he really you got him to talk and you didn't have to say that much and you let him talk and wasn't he good oh yeah i as, think as so. a, a person as an inter- you're an interviewer he's an interviewee wasn't it good to have somebody who could just talk like that and tell their story and he didn't even need much intervention, it didn't seem. I don't know, maybe you're asking questions, and then you, maybe you edited out some of your questions, and it was just mostly seamlessly him talking, I don't know. No, that was really... I, that it was, sounded like, yeah, it sounded like it was really the way that things were, from what I could tell. But, and I had no idea what he was like, or what he would sound like, you know? He was not and what he, I expected. What did you expect? Well, and I didn't
0: mean to interrupt you, by the way. Oh, that's but, uh, okay but i thought he was somebody who would take himself a little more seriously mm mm-hmm, mhm me
1: too <laughs> you know yeah me too yeah that's what i thought i thought he'd be more like of a hard ass right in a certain way he was so laid back and so friendly and he didn't have any i didn't get any sense of self importance right from him at all and I, I totally thought, because I think I heard, I don't know if, it, I think it was him. Did he, was he the one who was producing That's Life, the song when Sinatra sang it? Uh. Because I thought it was him, and I know the story is, he sang it a certain way, and he said, like, that's a hit. And and whoever it was, and I thought it was Jimmy Bowen, he said, if you want a hit, you're going to have to do it again.
0: I think, I think that's Right.
1: And I, when I heard that story, I'm thinking, Jimmy Bowen must be like tough as nails to tell Sinatra. If you want to hit, you're going to have to do that again, you know? <laughs> so I got the impression he was going to have a big ego and swagger. And, and when I listened to the interview, I found it to be very relaxing and yeah. very wonderful stories that he told. I'm very honored that you listened. Well, I don't always have, you have so many interviews, Paul, I don't have the time to listen to them all, at least, you know, over time, maybe I can. And I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, I haven't listened to as many as I would have liked to, but there's a really, the ones that I've listened to, there have been a lot of good ones. And I know there have been some, you know, because sometimes it's, I know, because we've talked about this, it can be hard to get an interview with somebody. True. And sometimes they don't always deliver either you know like it might be end up being short or something but with the law of big numbers you're going to get a lot of good ones and the way you do let people talk yeah when it clicks you really get something unique and you get something that uh, you're not probably going to find anywhere else
0: I, I think you're right I think for somebody who takes to this type of communication it's great but there are other people I can tell they're just like I. I don't know what this is supposed to be. This is not. This is not what I'm used to.
1: Right, and most of them are. Most of the interviews you do are through the telephone, right?
0: Mostly, yes.
1: So, like a lot of people, maybe they they aren't used to a telephone interview.
0: Is that what? Is that true or not? Uh, I don't think that's it. I think that some of my questions kind of they kind of venture into the territory of maybe. Maybe this isn't the right word, I'm not sure, but existential?
1: I guess some of them are. Yeah. Like what, for example? You have a few stock questions, too, that you ask. True. Although True. I don't know if you've ans- I don't. What are they? I don't think you've asked me. Matt. You maybe asked me one of them, but <laughs> like, who is John Paradise? That's one of your questions. That can be a tough question, too.
0: Yeah. I don't always ask that. I used to ask that first. That used to be the first question. Who is so and so? Yeah,
1: that could be a little off-putting, though, to start with that question. I think
0: I learned that you have to get them warmed up. It's, it's yeah,
1: you do, you do. Yeah, I don't think you can ask a question like that right off the bat.
0: No, you shouldn't. Now, some people I did that with, and they they didn't have any problem with it. It was just it depends on the person. Yeah, is that what would you say to anyone listening? what is the best thing about being so-and-so?
1: I used to ask. Yeah, like, what is the best thing about being, what is the best thing about being Willie Nelson? Right. Or something like that. And on that note,
0: what is the best thing about being John Paradise?
1: Oh, don't ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. No, I can't. No, I can't. Oh, you did. I can't answer that. You know, I, <laughs> that is too hard of a question for me. And, and I'll go down on the record. You, you, you play that as part of the interview. <laughs> I, I'm trying to find that out who I am. I'm still looking. Well, maybe this, this
0: interview is, is the, you know,
1: it may well be what that. I was going to say <laughs> is though, and you were asking me, you know, the end part. And I started to say, it's, you know, it's an honor to talk to somebody who's spoken to all these people, all these famous people, and oh, I know. I wanted to ask you: Am I the f- I'm, am I the first non-celebrity that you've interviewed? Or I'm sure I'm not. But well,
0: I will say I can't really think of anybody that I interviewed that didn't have some kind of connection to fame. You might right. be the first one who, you know, like some of the people I've interviewed, they're not necessarily famous themselves.
1: But they might have worked with uh, a famous person. Right. They wrote songs. They could have have been like Jimmy Bowen's Shoeshine Man or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right.
0: Or people who in their field, in the world of lyricists, they're like a god. But if they stop in a 7-Eleven or a quick trip gas station. No one
1: would know them. No one would know who they are. Well, the average person might not know who Bowen was, you know. Very in that true. He, he's, very, in that he's very big to people in the know.
0: Exactly, exactly. In Nashville, if you went into pretty much any management or, it, let me put it this way, if you went into any recording studio in Nashville and you told them, hey, I just talked to Jimmy Bowen, they would stop what they were doing and listen.
1: They would, if they know him, yeah, they would talk. But the average, even like even a lot of ardent Sinatra fans might not know who he was if they didn't read the back of the album covers. And... Exactly. But oh, I know one, another thing I want to ask you is, what made you decide to interview me? <laughs> uh, I would like to know that. And you can't evade that question because that's a, I'm hard on that one. I'd like to hear why. I like you. Oh, well, that's the best answer you could give. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I want to say, though, I am actually, I'm honored because as what I what has come out in this interview, I had the fantasy life, I guess, of wanting to be in the public eye or be an entertainer, a writer, something in the arts, and I've never done that, and I always hoped that by magic something would happen, someone would discover me. I know that's not the way it happens, but... It's interesting to me now that I've gone all these years and I never became a singer or a director or a famous writer, any of the things that I fantasized about, but I am being interviewed. So I've I've gone through a a non-celebrity life and at this point... And I still have many years left, I'm sure. But at this point, as a, as a non-celebrity, I'm being interviewed. And it's quite a kick for me. <laughs> I'm glad it's a kick. My art was doing nothing. <laughs> all these years, by refraining from producing any works of any kind, I still get to be interviewed along with all of the big celebrities. So it's really unique and maybe appropriate. All I could say is that it's as much a pleasure for me
0: as it is for you. Well, thank you, Paul. Yeah, I've absolutely enjoyed this experience.
1: Well, you know, I was thinking it would turn out good.
0: Maybe as we close here, there's a line you'd like to sing or a a, a song.
1: Oh, I would. You know, before you called me, I came home and I was thinking, I'm not mad that you were a little late. But I got home at around nine o'clock and I'm sitting in my chair and I'm getting comfortable and I'm thinking about the whole thing. And I was really in a great mood and I was singing different things and I thought I was sounding so good. And I'm thinking, I wish some of this would get onto the show. Uh-huh. And now and now I'm feeling a little I actually feeling a little tired. Yeah. And I and I felt I've been feeling we've had the change of weather here, too. And have you, is, how's the weather down there? it was pretty warm today was it we've been getting it wasn't it was kind of mild and it wasn't overly cold but the cold weather is starting to come in and when that happens i think i always it always throws me off a little bit and i don't feel at my best and i feel like i could be coming down with something which i'm probably not but um i think at the end here i think i did find the one song so let me let me get it now uh I'm not going to say what it is offhand here, but I'll, I'm going to—I'll sing this song. This is the first time I've ever been interviewed, too, <laughs> other than job interviews. So,
0: with this interview, there are no wrong answers.
1: There, I know that. I know that
0: to be true.
1: <laughs> oh, here it is. It's only a shanty in old shantytown. The roof is so slanty it touches the ground. But my tumbled-down shack by an old railroad track, like a millionaire's mansion, is calling me back. I'd give up a palace if I were a king. It's more than a palace. It's my everything. There's a queen waiting there with a silvery crown in that shanty in old shanty town. What do you think? You hear the applause, right? Oh, yeah, I do. I hear it. But anyway, I appreciate the time you've taken, and we've talked for over two hours now, so we should wind it up at this point, because I'm, <laughs> this is like a, this is like an actually long movie. <laughs>
0: this is the Paul Leslie hours.
1: This is the <laughs> Paul Leslie two hours, but if you ever want to talk again, let me know, because I could have more interesting things to say in the future. Well, something tells me we will, we
0: will talk again. All right, that sounds good, Paul. John Paradise been a pleasure until next time
1: until next time take care
0: all right right. later bye-bye thank you for listening to the paul leslie hour if you enjoy these interviews please consider rating reviewing and subscribing to the podcast you can help us by listening on the free radio public app the show can also be found on itunes stitcher Player FM, or Overcast. For more information, visit thepaulleslie.com or follow on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all at The Paul Leslie. The Paul Leslie Hour theme song is performed and composed by Jeff Pike. Outro music is performed and composed by John Goodwin. See you next time on The Paul Leslie Hour.